today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I'd very much appreciate it, and it will help dynamic people such as yourself optimally discover this podcast and add it to their library of favorite podcasts. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I'd love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or a coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, university seeking to integrate and support your returning citizens in your organizational and learning environments. Feel free to contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. I'm very excited for the episode that we have today. Today we have Emmy-nominated producer and director Ms. Shirley Vinay Williams, who's working on a great project called A Break in Belonging. And this is our very first interview in our in the history of this podcast. So I'm very excited that we were able to get Ms. Williams. And I'd love for you guys to hear her message and hear about the project she's doing. And without further ado, let's get to it. Here's Second Chance Coaching with our guest, Ms. Shirley Vinay Williams. Welcome to Second Chance Coaching. Once again, I'm Dr. Richard Lewis, and today we have a very special treat, our very first interview for this podcast with Ms. Shirley Renee Williams. I'll take my time to introduce uh, Ms. Williams to everyone. Uh, Shirley Renee Williams is a director and Emmy-nominated producer who has overseen television series such as History Channel's Alone and American Restoration, and she also story produced series for Refinery29, including Shady and Anomaly, which generated millions of online views. Other work she's done includes producing high-profile brand content for Vanier Media and Public Record TV. In 2019, Shirley produced eight short films for the New York Times and a documentary for the Annenberg Space of Photography. In 2020, Shirley directed a five-part series for Adidas and a three-part series for the U.S. Virgin Islands. This past year, Shirley has also directed and produced short films for First Response and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. In 2017, Shirley post-produced the documentary film Intent to Destroy with the award-winning director, Joe Bellinger. Intent to Destroy premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Historical Documentary. Shirley owns and operates Willie B Productions, a production company focusing on film, television, and digital content. At this time, it is my pleasure to welcome director and producer extraordinaire, Shirley Vernay Williams to the Second Chance Coaching Podcast. How are you doing today, Shirley? Oh my gosh, it feels so weird to hear you read that. I'm over here blushing. I don't, I don't know if you looked up and saw me. I had like my head down and it's just so... It's so weird. It's like it, it causes you to or cause me to take a moment and to reflect, especially like with all of the 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 sadness that occurred in 2020 to, you know, to just hear that I was still able to create and to do is such a blessing. But just it felt so weird hearing that read. It's always weird for me, too, when I hear I'm okay with talking about myself, but even when I talk about myself, it's only at a certain limit. But when I hear someone speak about me, I'm, I sometimes I'm looking around like, well, who are they talking about? Because they're not talking about me. <laughs> Can't be me. No, that's not me. That's not me. But it exactly. is. It is. It absolutely is. You should be very proud of yourself. But that was my intro for you. But can you 
share a little bit about yourself. You know, what what do you want to share with us? Like where you're from, anything personal or professional that, or any other past work that we didn't cover in our intro. What do you want to share with us about you? Yeah, so I, um, I'm based in New York City. I, uh, I've been here, I think this, this past summer made either 16 or 17 years. I love, love, love New York. I'm originally from Connecticut and I'm super proud of being from Connecticut. Um, one of the things that I, that is not in my bio, but I am super duper proud of is I am a super auntie and I love my nieces and nephews so much. They are a big, big part of my life and they bring me a whole lot of joy. I think that's one thing that's uh, very personal and super important to me. Um, I think about them a lot in the things that I create uh, and the work that I put out. Um, yeah, I, I think that that I think that's probably the only thing that was missed. No, that's great, super auntie. That is a gold star. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about one significant challenge and one significant accomplishment from your professional journey. Um, challenge. I think where I am right now is like one of the biggest challenges that I have ever faced. So, you know, as my my experience so far has been I'm a I'm a producer, I'm a director. So companies, organizations, institutions, right? Like when they need a director, when they ha when they need a producer, when they have all the resources in place, they have clients in place, they have an idea of what it is that they want to create. They call me up and say, they say, hey, we got this project. We want you on board, right? And I come on board um, to, to something that's already in place, right? Um, and now I'm in a situation where uh, the resources are not in place, right? And that's a part of independent producing. Um, so I am the person who's responsible for ideation. I'm the person who's responsible for finding the money. I'm the person who's responsible for all staffing. I'm, res I'm the person who's responsible for all the things that happen on the far, far back end, all the way to the front, as far as like managing. So, uh, so in terms of challenges, like I'm responsible for everything on the back, back end, all the way to the front, managing the, the talent, the subjects. <clears throat> and I've never, I've never had to do all of this, be responsible for all of this alone, um, especially starting from conception. Uh, so I, I would say that that is, that is my current and so far the biggest challenge that I have had as a content creator, as a producer, as a director. It's, it's, I always tell people like, if you want to do independent producing, um, if you have an idea, if you have a project, and it is up to you and you don't have the resources in, in play, if you're not wealthy, if you're not rich, if you don't know someone who's a, a fountain of money, right? And it is up to you to get this thing off the ground. Make sure it is a project that you are wildly passionate about and make sure that you have the stamina and the guts to do the work because it's a different type of beast. Um, yeah, in terms of accomplishments, 
that one i think that one's a a little challenging i'm like i don't know i mean it was super duper cool to be nominated for an emmy um i post produce uh a documentary called intent to destroy about the armenian genocide <coughs> excuse me and we did this film back in 2017 and it was so so hard it was so hard i mean almost a year of waking up every day and looking at <clears throat> excuse me looking at images of um armenians sick being slain being murdered and especially being black and uh you, you know having a history that is similar is that it felt familiar it felt very close to home so a lot of that experience was very triggering in a lot of different ways um but <clears throat> we actually got nominated for an emmy i think two years after it was released so when i got done with that project <clears throat> that was actually a really really hard project to produce too just very mentally and emotionally just exhausting um and Joe Berlinger, who's a phenomenal director, he is like, he plays no games in and, and, and the best way possible. Um, I learned so much from him. He requires a game. He, his standards are high. So it was, it was, a, it took a lot. It was, it was a lot to, to create and to execute. Um, but that, that was, that was a challenging one at the same time, very rewarding, especially like, you know, years later it resurfacing and then resurfacing with us being nominated for an Emmy. We didn't win, but the nomination was very just, it, it was it was awesome. It was really cool to be nominated and to be acknowledged for all the hard work that went into creating that, that film. You know, the, the good thing is with challenges and accomplishments, they could always be at this point in time. So you could always have more challenges, but they could be the birth uh, they could be the foundation and the birth of more accomplishments in the future. So we're going to be keeping our eyes on you <laughs> for sure. Um, what? Where did you? Just a follow up question. So, so you're, so you're an independent producer. Where Where did you go to school, or where did you get your training to do to to produce? Yeah. <clears throat> so my uh, I actually went to on camera acting school, and at the time it was called the school for film and television, and now it's called the New York Conservatory of Dramatic Arts. So it's a two-year program that trains their students uh, on-camera performance, which is very different from theater performance. Um, so you, you, we learned a lot of, um, we studied a, this guy, his name is Meisner, Meisner Technique, which is a phenomenal technique um, that a lot of actors used. Um, but after school, I, had a hard time getting work. I am, you know, back then, I think this was maybe, I think I graduated in 2006 or 2007, uh, one of those. And um, like black girls who look like me were not popular. Like they wanted the mulatto black girls, like the black girls who had like very soft, bouncy, beautiful curls and like, you know, very mixed looking skin and talked a certain type of way. And I, I obviously am not that. So I had a hard, hard time booking gigs. Not that I wasn't talented. It was just that I wasn't what people were writing in scripts. 
So uh, my mom was like, girl, you got to pay these student loans. Like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> I had to hustle. I had to hustle to get, uh, get a job because I was being a burden on my parents. And then out of that, I, uh, a friend of mine like plugged me on. When Oprah was leaving her show to launch OWN, she had did a, a special called like Oprah's 25th anniversary or Oprah's 25th something. And I, I got hired as a transcriber. So I came in like and typed all the interviews so producers and directors could create their, um, their scripts. And it just snowballed from there. I got in and I loved that side of storytelling. And I just, I worked. I worked really, really hard and networked and grind and just climbed the ladder slowly but surely. Oh, that's great. That's great. So talk to us about your current project, or it might be one of your many current projects, but this particular project that we're talking about, talk to us about your project and development of Breaking Belonging. Yes, it is one of many different projects, but it's my, like, it's my baby. It's the thing that, like, it not only does it keep me up all night, but it wakes me up at the crack of dawn. It's always on my mind. So it's called a Breaking Belonging. And it's, as you can see, because I just start smiling and blushing when I talk about it. Um, and it's about uh, Pastor Martin Thomas. Uh, he's a, oh, he is phenomenal. I love him so much. Uh, I met him, actually, first let me tell you, let me tell you, give you a snippet of what it's about, and then I'll go to how I met him, because I love telling that story. Um, so it is about Pastor Martin Thomas. I would say about 25 and a half now, maybe 26 years ago, he killed someone and he never told anybody why he did it. He, um, he accepted a 50 year guilty plea and he went on to Indiana State Prison and he served 23 years of his 50 year uh, of sentence. And while he was in prison, he did some just phenomenal things. Uh, he became the pastor of the, the prison's church and grew the church organization. I'm also a church girl, so like this, this part of the story is I've, I'm so intrigued and I, I love it. Um, he grew the church to be uh, one of the largest organizations there in Indiana State Prison. He, as an inmate, was working closely with like the warden and the commissioner and the governor to create special programs for um for inmates to that were preparing to transition out of uh prison into society to support set them up for success and and programming that could also support lifers um and he, while this was happening his five sons were feeling the impact of losing a parent to incarceration. They had a really big deal um, with Arista Records, phenomenal boys. Uh, well, they're men now, phenomenal men who I also love and admire so much. Uh, greatly talented. Uh, they had a big deal with Arista Records and when their father was arrested, unfortunately, it all came tumbling down and they lost it. Um, so they, they, you know, this story explores what it was like for boys ages 12 to 20 at the time to lose a parent to incarceration, um, not know what happened 
uh, just knowing that dad is no longer there, as well as what it was like to lose such a big dream. Um, You know, as I'm talking about this too, a lot of specifically like black boys um, are either don't have the ability to dream for for so many reasons, are constantly stifled around dreaming and then and these these boys had access and they were on their way and an event happened that was beyond them and out of their control that resulted to the loss of their dream so it, it explores that it explores the hardships that they endured um and now martin is home and Listen, I've been to Indiana twice and I've seen firsthand work that he is doing post-prison, post-release to support um, formerly incarcerated men uh, to have success post-release. And it is hard and challenging work that he's doing down there. So we also explore that within this film. Um, And we, we get a chance to like, see Martin where he is now, see his works, see his sons where they are now, um, and and seeing them uh, reconcile and, and build and, and grow. Um, and and, and, and I, I always love to tell this story, but I had, um, I was in church one day, this was three years ago when I met Martin. I was in church and he had been released from prison just a few, a few um, months before. And he had came because he was a guest speaker for an an annual event we do where our minister puts on a phenomenal event, brings uh, ministers from all over the country to talk on one specific topic to like edify the church, build the people up, make us stronger. And Martin was was heavily promoted. And, you know, I I remember the the energy around, oh, my gosh, Martin Thomas is coming back to Harlem for the first time in in 20 at that time. It was 23 years. So, yeah, I've been been away for 23 years. And um, when I heard him speak, I literally was blown away the way he worked in his prison experience and forwarding the congregation and sharing deep and dark thoughts and feelings that he had while he was in a cell and this was this was all new to me i never in my life had met a pastor who had been to prison for 23 years who was actually guilty um so so yeah that's like a uh a, a big big picture about the details of what this story is about but you know there's so many things that I'm looking to accomplish within this story. Um, and that's humanizing um, formerly incarcerated people, um, showing that they are deserving of second chances. And we don't, like society, people who actually have made mistakes and just have not gotten caught, we don't get to label formerly incarcerated people or, or decide that they are second class citizens like that we don't we don't hold that power um yeah and like uh and and to to get the viewers to reimagine how we uh how we view formerly incarcerated persons um bring attention to what parental incarceration does to the psyche of children um it's bad it's not good um You know, and then there's another side of this story that's um, 
that's that's evolving too and i think that's important as well as like the victim the victim's children they are you know i could imagine they endured a life that was hard and challenging because they lost their dad um so there there's so much loss unfortunately unfortunately that occurred through this event um but we i want to use this as a vessel and a tool for healing and uh to 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 show uh the world what's possible when we forgive and when we love um just show the other side of of a lot of these hard topics of course was 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 pastor thomas coming to your church was that what brought you to developing and producing this project or were there other factors involved besides that encounter at your church yeah, so so I'm a very very curious soul. Like I'm curious about everything. Um and I when I when I heard about him that this was a pastor who has spent 23 years in prison and people didn't know why, immediately my antennas went up. And I wanted to hear more. I wanted to learn more. And then when I uh when I went and I heard him speak, and I just, I, he was so rich and dynamic and powerful. And, and just like his voice was like literally piercing through my, through my soul. And then that made me want to hear more. I was like, I need, I need to know. Like, and there was still a lot of mystery around, well, what happened? And I was like, well, I, I need to know. I need to know more because I'm a curious soul. So then I, uh, I started doing some research on him. There, were, there was a, a, the event happened in 1996. The, the world wasn't deep into, we didn't have the internet the way that we do now. Uh, most of the, the news that we got was through printed articles on paper or through our news reporters do, on the actual news, like news anchors. So it was very hard to find a lot of information about him, but the little I did continue to increase my curiosity. Um, so then I, I got his book. He has a book called On the Road to Manhood, and I read it. And it basically is a tool that supports men in understanding like what may have caused them to get sidetracked in life uh, that took them off the road of road to manhood and what they could implement now to put them back on the road to manhood. And there were a lot of things in there, me as a woman, that I was able to extract and I felt like I could apply to my own life. So again, my more curiosity, I was like, oh man, he's he's I didn't even I didn't even know him at that time. And I was I was like, this man is so phenomenal. And then I came across his organization's website and I was reading about the reentry work that he's doing in Indianapolis, and I was like, Oh, this is this is a story. So I actually reached out to him on Facebook. But Martin was was new back to society. Uh, so technology, he wasn't that savvy. He was still learning. So his wife, who is, uh, I call her Ma. She is just just the most, she's a saint. <laughs> she's, the whole, she's incredible. <laughs> I just love her so much. She's phenomenal. Um, his wife was managing his social media account. 
and uh she responded so me and her started talking we got on the phone and like I remember the first time I heard her voice the like the first thing I said to her was like your voice is just so soothing like I just talked to you you make me feel like everything's gonna be okay I didn't even know know the woman at the time I still tell her that to this day but um (laughs) um me and her started talking and then uh just from talking to her and the way she talked about Martin and I was just like y'all got a phenomenal story I was like I want to talk to Martin because I'm interested in potentially telling it and then I from there she connected me to her husband Martin and then we started to have conversations and the more he just uncovered and told me I mean like my mind was just exploding with just this is a story this is a story that the world needs to hear it's so rich and complex and just it's big and he he always says to me he's like I don't know what's wrong with you you are crazy I don't know why you want to do this but he's like okay go ahead and do it if that's what you want to do well you, well you shared with us Shirley your impressions of him when you when he was at your church and of course what you just told us when you made contact with him but what were some of your first impressions of Martin when you got to Indianapolis when you got to Indiana to actually start having boots on the ground regarding this project what was some of your first impressions of them at that point and then if you can compare it to after you finished filming if you could compare those two impressions that you had of him yeah so when i first met martin i i remember um and i think that i'm a really good discerner of of persons or of character and i i listen to what people don't say just as much as what they do say um but when I first met Martin, he was, uh, I remember him being so protective, first of his wife, and a very loving and compassionate and gentle way. And then of me as well. You know, he didn't want me to lift anything, to touch anything. He made sure that like, I mean, from the t- from him making sure all my accommodations, which I'm a producer, that's my job. But I wanted him to give. I wanted to give him the space to do what he felt comfortable doing, and for him to, you know. So I I let him do it. But I remember just how protective and loving and compassionate and gentle he was, um, and how how he was such a phenomenal listener. Um, he was very much open and curious about me and my life as much as I was about him which was for me was very telling it it wasn't this thing of it's about me 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 he would he cared about me and my thoughts and my feelings and what I wanted um and he was also very um he was very he is and and when I met him uh, he was then very responsible and accountable for what he did. He didn't shy away from it. Um, He owned it, Uh, not in a way that would have him in a beat up or uh, have him living in this this world of guilt and shame, but in in a more empowering way, like an acknowledgement of, yes, this is what I did 
it was not good it was bad it got me where it got me but here's what I was able to get out of that and here's what I was able to do for the planet and for the world and for the cause of Christ because of it um but but that was those were like my first impressions um of of Martin I love I still do to this day how um how responsible he is around what he did and how he how how he holds himself accountable and he's very clear on like you know his role that he played in it who were the victims um and out of that you know he's looking to reconcile with the with everyone who was was hurt as a result of his um of his actions I forgot what part B of your questions were. What What were your impressions of him after you completed filming in Indiana, Indian, Indianapolis? What were your, your that you talked to us about how you felt when you encountered him? Yeah. But then when you left, what was was there anything anything that changed? Was it enhanced your impressions? Enhanced? What were your feelings after you left him? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so um. I went to Indian, Indianapolis twice to do some more like preliminary filming. I wanted to see what Martin was like on camera. I wanted to do an interview with him. I wanted to get into the 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 office of his organization and see him at work. Um, he has this home under his organization, Foresight Forgivers Foundation, called the Nazareth Man House. and it's not a it's 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 set up like a tra uh, transition home but it's not your typical transition home like you know a lot of transition homes have an expiration date on it for the residents but this transition home uh has no expiration date men can stay in there as long as they need to to get themselves on their feet and uh martin provides all the all the the he pays the rent the utilities gives you food and like he just wants you to focus on getting yourself on your feet so you can thrive and out here in society and not go back to prison. Um, but in filming with Martin in the home and seeing him with uh, the, the, the men who have recently re-entered society and working to adjust, um, I saw a human who had a level of patience that I never have. I've, I mean, I saw a human who had a level of compassion that I have never seen. Uh, the way in which the lengths that I've saw that I, I witnessed him to go to make sure that men were okay or are okay and they have what they need. Um, the understanding that I saw that exists there. And I, I think a large part of that is because of his lived prison experience. I can't relate to them, nor can his wife, in a way that he can, uh, because he's been there. He's, he's, he spent 23 years behind, behind bars with these same men that he's serving. Um, but I, I saw, I, I just saw a different, level of patience and compassion that I've, I haven't witnessed before. Did this project in any way change what views you have of the criminal justice system or did they reinforce or solidify any views you might have had of it? I think one of the biggest things that has um, 
where I feel like the wool has been pulled over my eyes and this is where my responsibility has has come into play especially with me being a player in media a content creator me working for these major companies and and having power to tell story um is I never realized how much media influences the perspective that society has on formerly incarcerated people. And I did not know how much media influences the policies that affect currently and formerly incarcerated people, which has, um, and it was, it's, no one put the wool over my eyes. It was my own ignorance. But now that I know, I cannot unknow, and I have a responsibility to do my due diligence and to make sure that the way that I see Martin, that that is, that is very, very well communicated um, in how we do this project um, and make sure that uh, the way that I see Martin and his wife sees him and the the many other people that love and respect and adore him that the rest of society has a chance to view him that way too and the other millions of men and women who have been uh impacted by incarceration thank you you talked about the media's role as far as how we see things and the paradigm in which we look through things at this podcast, we always talk about how people get their second chance in coming home and some of the issues that they face when they come home. But we know specifically that one in three men of color will have been incarcerated at some point in their lives here in the United States. That's part of the bigger carceral problem here. Um, And we're 25% of the world's population, world's incarcerated population, and that seems to continue to rise. After your experiences on this project, and other projects you talked about intent to destroy how it triggered some things in you what do you think would be the solution for or 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 what media could do to balance our nation's desire to over incarcerate um with the as well as looking at the disproportionate criminalization and incarceration of black males and black females who are the highest rising population carceral population right now yeah yeah, that's a great question. I feel like there's there's just there's so many things that we can do. And I think one of the one of the things that we can do is start with the approach that that I'm taking. I think one thing is like, right? Even with my team, I tell my team all the time, I, we are changing language. For so long, I've been calling Martin you know, in write-ups or other people, ex-felons. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Now that I know as the leader of this team, that's unacceptable. Now that I'm, now that I'm learning, I'm gaining knowledge and information. I am not some guru and, and, and not, not wildly versed in terms of like the world of incarceration, but there's, there's now things that I know that I know starting with me, I can shift. And I'm powerful enough where I know, me alone, I have the power to shift the planet. So if I can start with changing my language, changing my perspective, changing my outlook, changing the way that I engage 
with uh, a population that has been impacted with incarceration. I alone, with my power, can change, can reach so much further. I can change policy. I can change the way government officials think and you know look at the look at the work that was done with uh just mercy i i love the way um uh producer scott uh how he how he how he handled that whole thing with his impact work and going into prisons and like just going beyond the screen and pushing people and and encouraging them to really rethink the way that they see people who have come through the system um and it's a it's a big task but you know like we just we just chew at what we can chew at and take it one step at a time but i think you know it it has to the the creators have to care the 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 people behind the camera they have to they have to first see formerly incarcerated people as human beings as as your equal as like I'd say all the time, we all have done stuff. We've all have, have made horrible mistakes. Just there's a large portion of us that just have not gotten caught. That's it. That's the difference. Um, but I, I, it just, it starts with the content creators and like our paradigm and our, our perspective and our POV and how, because that's going to inform our characters, our creation, and what we put out in the world. And if we are not doing it with a careful, conscious, deliberate hand, we'll continue to get nasty stereotypes um, and and negative negative images about the formerly incar or the current or formerly incarcerated population in the media and in in, in in on our screens. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. Are you looking to produce any more projects in regards to the criminal justice system and reentry or reform or some of some of my brothers and sisters say the abolitionist movement? The, the abolitionist, abolitionist movement. movement. Yeah. So are you looking to produce any more um, projects in this or do you have any projects that you would think about that you'd want to do? Listen, you know, the I'm the girl who does entirely way too much. <laughs> so my my goal is to focus on this one thing. I actually I actually transitioned out of my job at Vice Media so I could focus. This project could get all of my focus, all of my intention. Um, because if I'm not just focused on this thing and I have 10% of myself in another project, then that's 10% of myself that's not going into this project, right? But now, after this project has been wrapped, released, out in the world, which we're thinking will be around uh, a spring of 2022, um, this is uh uh the 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 current and form formerly incarcerated population is a, po a a population of people who need advocates with power uh the same way how bipoc professionals need advocates with power latina professionals or people need p folks with power um so i want to continue to do whatever that may look like continue to do uh, necessary work to liberate the necessary voices. 
Yeah, but in terms of like what that looks like right now, I do not know because my brain is 100% focused in this and in a break in belonging. No, that's okay. Well, that's good. That's 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 good work, sis. Can you talk to us about what is the status of the of a break in belonging right now? Um, how can the audience see it, support it? Like where where are you at right now as far as a break in belonging? Yeah, so um, a break in belonging is in advanced development. We are ready to go into production. So what that means is we are ready to uh, put cameras up. We're ready to travel out to Indianapolis and Jacksonville to do our interviews and, and film our scenes. We need funding. Um, we're getting ready to launch a really big crowdfunding campaign uh, second week in February. Um, so we're, we're hopeful around that. So we're rally, rallying all of our supporters and our family and friends and colleagues and peers letting them know what's on the horizon and what's co- what's to come and what our financial goals are. Um, but we, we need funding in order for us to move into the next phase, but we're ready to move into the next phase. And uh, we've, we've been uh, building partnerships with organizations that we can uh, connect with that where we can tap into their talent to hire formerly incarcerated people to one, provide them with income and jobs and two, expose them to uh, career fields maybe they may not have been exposed to, specifically the entertainment industry. Um, Other organizations that are focused on going into businesses to uh, help uh, the people who are running it redefine how uh, they see formerly incarcerated people, which will then uh, open up formerly incarcerated people to more uh, op- uh, employment opportunities. Um, so, doing a, a lot of a lot of on the ground partnerships and work with people and organizations that uh, target and focus and love and care about uh, formerly incarcerated persons. Um, and also doing, you know, I, I'm being very deliberate in in my crew and my team, making sure that, you know, my crew is reflective of the subjects, which are majority black men. And I need to create safe spaces for them and where they can be open and vulnerable and share of themselves. So, you know, spending this time to do the very deliberate findings of of who works and and who can who can fit into our mold into our model but uh that's that's where we are in terms of uh stages and we we need support with with financing and funding uh we we do have a fiscal sponsor so every donation uh when gone through our fiscal sponsor which is new york women in television and film is tax deductible which is a great incentive um but yeah yeah that's where we are and we're we're on every social media platform uh a b i b the film and then we have uh our website hold on there's just a a car of ambulance going by Oh no! It's New York City. I know how it is. I remember. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm still that kid from New York. I know how it is. (laughs) Um, 
So yeah, we're on all social media platforms, A-B-I-B, the initials for A Break and Belonging, the film, A-B-I-B, the film. Um, and then we have our website, abreakandbelonging.com. So you can find us, find us everywhere. Oh, that's great. So A-B-I-B, the film, abreakandbelonging.com. And if anybody's interested in donating, they would go to New York Women in TV and Film and donate through there to support to support the advanced stage of the project. Okay. Yep. Or they can go or or you can go you can go straight to a breakandbelonging.com and go to our donate page and it'll reroute you to everywhere you need you need to go. We've made it very simple and easy for everyone to find. And look, oh, all donations, great. donations are not, I'm I'm not making any money off, off this. <laughs> I'll pay for a lot of this stuff out of pocket. So this is, uh, you know, all donations are going towards labor and equipment costs so that we can get into production. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. So how could, so my last question for you is how can, the audience reach out to you and follow you and follow your progression and your future projects. Um, do, do, do you have uh, your following on social media or how do you, how do you want people to follow you? Yeah, I, my handle, I'm on all social social media platforms um, at Shirley Vernay, V as in Victor, E-R-N-A-E. Um, and I love engaging with people. I love talking with people. So if you hit me up, like, let's have some fun. Let's talk. If you have ideas, if you have, uh, I, 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 I don't know everything. And I know I don't know everything. So, like, you know, if you think that there's ways that I can even more deeply support you know, this, this population of formerly incarcerated men and women, like, please shoot your ideas to me let me know your thoughts um i i would love to to talk to collaborate i am an open book oh thank you that's great well shirley thank you for spending time with us today on second chance coaching for our audience do not forget to see a break in belonging but before you can see it don't forget to support it so don't forget to go to a break Click on the donate button and every little bit makes a difference, whether it be a dollar, whether it be $10, whether it be $10,000, you are supporting a great cause. You're supporting a great cinematic project. And I know that the final project will, will, will be great. Shirley, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. I'm so grateful. You are phenomenal. I love your show. I love your voice. And I can't wait to hear this. Thank you so much. And take care and happy new year again. Happy new year. Once again, if you'd like to work one-on-one -on -one as a returning citizen, coaching client, or you're the representative of a business, college, or university, contact me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, you've been blessed to see another day. You've been blessed with your second chance, so make the most of it. I love you all. Take care and be well.